history. 8.8 absolutely wrecked that place. And we all, of course, turned our eyes to Hilo and what was happening and what would happen next. And, you know, we're so quick to move on, aren't we? It's like, oh, well, let's forget Chile. Let's watch what happens to Hawaii. And we all dial in to see what next disaster we can witness. And uh, and people are blogging and Twittering and tweeting and Facebooking. And, I mean, it's just flying like crazy. And in the midst of one of those, I saw go by. Somebody said, why are we watching this without thinking? People are dying. You know, we're just looking at it as the next surf contest in the Pacific. So I'm not ridiculing us. I'm just saying that the Bible says these things are the beginning of sorrows. Maybe you like to rule out that part in the middle where it says, then they'll kill you and hand you over for tribulation. And then the gospel will be preached in all the world still. And then the end will come. Well, we don't like to read the middle, do we? We like to choose, we like to take the Oreo apart, <laughs> take the middle out. But there's good news in disaster, and I want to show you a video from Haiti, because it hasn't been, it's only been, what, a month and a half since that occurred. And we all rushed to Haiti, and Haiti's still having problems, right? It's not all fixed. People are still dying, people are still starving, people are still sick. Uh, even now that the, uh, the government, if you haven't heard, is stopping relief efforts at some of the borders and trying to tax the supplies that are coming in. When you think of these relief efforts by people like you and I and the Ruiz family loading all donated goods. And I saw one guy with they had 300 temporary shelters in his truck that were donated, the money and the materials and had it all in his truck, 300 temporary housing uh, for people in Haiti. And they stopped him at the border so you can't go through. We're going we're gonna to figure out what tax you owe. And you think, what is wrong with this picture? You know, corruption seeps in and, you know, money, the big dollar sign takes over and, Instead of uh, being able to help humanitarily and, and in a Christian response, you know, we're, we're taxed by it. So uh, it's not all wonderful, but there is good news inside the country. And sometimes we don't hear it. So look at this video and uh, rejoice at what God has done at the president's level. The sun was rising on the morning of February 12, 2010. I could hardly believe my eyes. The crowd was gathering right in the shadow of the presidential palace there in Port-au-Prince. President Preval had canceled the annual Mardi Gras celebration and called his nation to three days of fasting and prayer. Pastor Rene Joseph, along with other national spiritual leaders, only had about five days to organize this event. And as the day began to break, there were more people than the eyes could even see. They were standing with their hands extended to heaven as Pastor Rene Joseph stepped to the microphone and gave the opening call. There were desperate Haitians crying out to God Almighty to forgive them and heal their country. There must have been one million or more filling that main square in the downtown area. Some had climbed trees, some were sitting on rooftops, some were sitting on tops of automobiles. 
from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. each day for those three days they came. Scriptures were read, prayers were prayed, songs of worship were offered up, declarations of repentance were made. The Prime Minister even arrived early the first morning. Oh, he, he did not speak. He simply stood there weeping for over an hour. He left only to return a few hours later and he had President Preval with him who then addressed the crowd. And the pastors laid their hands upon him and prayed the blessing of God over him as he stood there calling upon God to heal his country. You see, here was a nation who had been brought to her knees and God was pleased. There were some 3,000 confirmed conversions during those three days. And of that number, 101 were confirmed to have been voodoo priests. You see, heaven opened over Haiti on February 12, 2010, and the Holy Spirit began to rain down. And I can tell you this, it is still raining. Take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and you have redeemed us to God by your blood, out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation, and have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. Hallelujah. Is it something I said? No, I'm just 68. It's kind of sad. I mean, I know that back there there's only two donuts in a box. There's a lot more than, of them than those donuts. You'll see who ends up there first. <laughs> they can just break it into parts and have a little donut communion there. Um, so good news from Haiti, huh? Yeah. Wow. Praise the Lord. And, and in disaster, God responds to the cry of his people and the repentance of hearts. And so when we see it, we don't just watch it. We fall to our knees and we inquire of God again, how can we respond most appropriately? In, in another situation of, of now missional uh, thrust, I want to invite Anthony and Joey to come and share for a few minutes with you about what's going on in their life. Is there a microphone they should use, the handheld? Get that on. There you go. Check. Check. How many of you were here show of hands when me and Leah spoke about Destiny Rescue? Thank you. I see that hand. I see that hand. Bless you. God bless you. I always wanted to do that. <laughs> hey, um, for those of you that weren't here, Destiny Rescue is a ministry involved in Thailand, Cambodia, Mozambique, India, and their mission, their goal in this life is to stop child trafficking. And uh, me and uh, Leah and Joey now have joined that ministry, and in Two weeks from now, we're going to go, me and Joey, to Thailand for three weeks and do whatever we can to help the ministry rescue girls in brothels, um, bring awareness to people in hill tribes about the, uh, the threat against their children for child trafficking. Um, there's opportunity for us to uh, dig fish ponds 
and to help the people, you know, make a living breeding fish instead of, you know, the, the common uh, way to make money is through drugs. So we're trying to, we're going to do that. And uh, we'll see what the Lord has for us. Um, the Lord's really put this ministry on my heart, especially having kids. And uh, I kind of want to just go over there and see how I can be involved, whether it be get the vision even more, come back over here and share it wherever I go. Uh, bring short-term mission trips over or move my whole family over there and live. I don't know what the Lord has for us. We're willing to do whatever. And uh kind of excited about that. And I wanted to bring him and show him what, show him something different than America. And uh, I just want him to hang out with me. So that's what we're doing. We need major prayer. Thailand is a dark place. I mean, uh, it's uh, Buddhist. Buddha is the main thing. And... uh it's dark, and so, but uh, we're just going to go under the covering of the Lord and believe His protection and, and walk in that and uh, hopefully rescue some, some girls, man, that, that need a hero to bust through a door and, and save their life. I hope we have that opportunity, but, uh, and then Joey's going to share why he's going. Um, you know, like anybody, I want to go to Thailand because I want to see different parts of the world and, like, the different culture, but, uh, you know, I also want to go help Destiny Rescue because I have a little five-year-old, six-year-old sister. And, like, I would hate to see her in the stuff that I've, like, been told about. So I want to go help them do what I can to stop that. And, you know, I also want, through this trip, my relationship with the Lord to get stronger, you know. Because, like you saying, it's a very dark place over there, you know. So it'll be hard for me to definitely need prayer for that. Because, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. yeah. But, uh... <laughs> But, so, yeah, prayer and reasons I'm going other than those two. That's pretty much it. Mm-hmm. Works. It's good for me. Yeah. And one of the things that, before you go, one of the things that is beautiful about this is that you have a father whose heart is being passed to a son. You know, there's ministry in our hearts oftentimes that we may not have been able to effectively, you know, Im- imbibe or press in. Um, one of the scriptures comes to mind that says that we should press into our children like a cookie cutter does, the shape of our heart. That's an imp- certainly a, a, a working over of the scripture, but in raising children, that's part of our job is to take out of our heart and press into our kids the heart of God that we have. And I'm just glad you're going with them to have that happen. And I'm, I appreciate that you're willing to take your young man with you to do that. So let's pray for him right now. Thanks. Father, we, uh, we thank you for your grace upon Anthony and Joe today. And from now, in the next two weeks, as they prepare, we ask to just... Father, that your provision will be made for each of them as you desire them to go. Lord, that you will clear the way and the path and the flights and the travel. So that everything goes smoothly, they arrive at their destination to serve you with gladness. Lord, we pray that you will put them on our hearts the next few weeks to pray and intercede for them. Mm -hmm. Stand in the gap, build up the hedge of protection over them as they enter a dark territory where the enemy would love to strip them, uh, hurt them, kill them, wound them. 
and mess up the future for them. Lord God, I praise you and thank you that the blood of Jesus is more powerful. Amen. The name of Jesus, every knee will bow, Jesus. every tongue will confess. Right. Every false spirit, every lying demon will be defeated right. in front of them as they come in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Preserve and protect them. Mm-hmm. Amen. 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 Thank you. Thank you. I'm sorry. They leave on March the 15th, return April the 5th. Are they raising money? Yes, Joey's raising funds. What about funds? Funds. Joey's sent out a fundraising letter. You're welcome to uh, help support his trip. Needs a couple of thousand dollars, right? And how much do you have so far? Zero. So we need a thousand dollars a week. No, just kidding. well, it's true. And uh, I'm in. I know I got one of his letters, and I'm planning on it. So if you want to help with that, you can take an envelope out of a chair, write a check, just put on there, Thailand, and uh, we will make sure that it gets done. Okay. All right. God is good all the time. Now Lucy didn't get to be with us last week, so I have a little gift for you. Uh, we got these for all the cell eaters, and uh, it's a nice. It's a nice fleece. She she chose a red one, and she also made me buy her a black one, but I wanted to give her the red one in front of you. You're welcome. Thank you for being a shepherd of God's people. Okay. Hallelujah. Now, we've been talking a little bit about setting a nail and driving it in a little at a time, right? You know, Oikos was part of that. I've appreciated the conversations around Oikos that have been happening. Um, I heard that there was one lighthouse that greets each other by saying, oink, oink. And I don't, it really has no correlation in the, in the language except for the O-I part. And, uh, but, you know, what, what tickles me is that the, the name is on our lips, that it's uh, in our heart. I mean, even uh, Janina on her Facebook said, uh, you know, it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. Won't you be my Oikos? If you ever watch Mr. Rogers, you'll figure that out. (laughs) Won't you be my oikos? And Rob's message last week about community is still working on us. It's alive. It's like the Word of God. It's alive and active, and it's working. So I want to take the nail that's in place and just tap it a few more times today. May I? Um, Let me go to this. um, To start off, I want to ask you a question. It's about helping us with a little bit of a paradigm shift. You know what a paradigm shift is? It's a, you've always viewed something one way. It's always that way. and Sort of like the coffee cup that has a picture or a, a motto on your side, and it's blank on the other. And if you hold it up between you and friends and say, what do you see? They say, I see a white coffee cup. And you begin to describe them. Well, I see a beach scene, and the sun's coming up, and it's got a beautiful... Sunrise, they go, wait, you're, you're loony because it's just white. And then, of course, you turn the cup around. It's your perspective that lets, allows you to see things. And I want to kind of, I want to get against our perspective today and push a little bit. Okay? And you can throw me out for heresy on the way if you want. Now, to start, you have to drive for me right in on this uh, PowerPoint. So, to, to get us started, I want to do a little exercise. You ready? Reading through, remember now, only once, count the F's in the following text. Ready? Read through, you get to read through only once. Okay, next page. Read through one time only. 
Count the number of F's. Oh, hey, 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 hey. Hey, hey, hey. Don't be driving me too fast now. Okay. Okay, you through? Good. Okay, now it. Are there three? How many of you got three? Well, you got three? Three, three, three. Okay, ready? Next screen. It's surprising, isn't it? Okay, next screen. The reason. Our brain processes the word of as having the letter V. Of. Of. Next screen. Look again. Finished files are the result of scientific study combined with the experience of. I knew there were six, and I still only counted five. <laughs> now, now, are there six there or not? Okay. So, don't change yet. There's something that happens up here. There are people that say this is a brain issue. That literally it's a brain issue. It's how our brain functions. And so the truth of it is, some say that your brain can't process this. And that if you get all six on the first try through, you're a genius. Uh, personally, I don't think I want to, you know, put my genius capacity on the sentence. Okay, <laughs> I think it might take additional testing. <laughs> but, okay, so... You're surprised by what you couldn't see even though it was right in front of you. And so I'm going to talk about another thing here. Next screen. See, and I'm using visual language. See what picture comes to mind on this next one. I want you to capture like a camera the, the picture that comes to mind on the next screen, on the next word. Okay? Ready? Got your camera ready? Go. Take a picture. What do you see when you see the word church? What does that mean to us? The name of my message today is, what is church? Okay, some offerings. What did you see? What's the picture in your mind? People. People. Body of Christ. A building. People. A steeple. You know, I, I apologize. Uh, I realized that I just, for those who are listening to this by audio, did not see a thing. <laughs> so can I can I back you up a screen and let me read the sentence to him, Ed? Uh, so my apologies to you on the audio. If you're on the on the line, uh, listening to the MP3, will it back up? Okay. The sentence says, "Finished files are the result of years of scientific study." combined with the experience of years. So you write that down at home and you'll find the F's. Okay, thank you for bearing You have to see beyond the walls here. Uh, the other word that we flashed up is the word church. What is church? You've heard body of Christ, people. Did you say steeple? Steeple, building, people. Any other pictures? Was it? No, my, my answer would be cheating because I just listened to a theology so you were listening to a study of the church. What, what, 
study group is that? Ecclesiology? Yeah. yeah. It's true, ecclesiology. I want to talk about this today because I want to see if I can give us a little shift, tap the nail in just a couple more times. Maybe it won't apply to you as much as some, but <clears throat> would you agree with me that across our nation, maybe even around the world, if you say church to a specifically Western North American group of people, if you're in a conversation, you bring up church, does it not give them a picture of a building? They see the one over there, the steeple. The, oh, I saw a nice one down. I was in South Carolina. Rob and I were in South Carolina this week at Myrtle Beach. And when you pull out on King's Highway and you go down just a couple blocks, there's a, there's a building there that says nothing but church. Big white two-story peaked roof and a steeple reaching into the sky. And it's just white as can be. And it's pretty. And I drove by and the parking lot's empty, which means the church isn't there. Okay. The building is there. And we know that we use that word in such a way. I believe that if we can get a paradigm shift in the way we think about church, that the results will be nothing less than miraculous. And I mean that. And I don't expect you to receive that like that. I believe it, though. I think things will be so radically, wonderfully different that we would all be surprised. So that's what I'm aiming at, trying to nudge a little more in this direction. Now, if I open a dictionary, I've op- I have a Webster's 11th Collegiate Dictionary. Most of us have something like that. I would like to have Daniel Webster's Dictionary. I don't have one, but I have this one. And I opened it to the word church, and here's the number one definition. There are five. It says this. One, a building for public and especially Christian worship. Two, the clergy or officialdom of a religious body. Three, often capitalized, a body or organization of religious believers as A, the whole body of Christians, B, a denomination such as the Presbyterian Church, or C, a congregation. Fourth definition, a public divine worship. Parentheses, explanation says, goes to church every Sunday. And the fifth definition, the clerical profession. Parentheses, considered the church as a possible career. In other words, a person said, I'm considering the church as a possible career. Therefore, it's talking about professional clergy. If this is in the standard dictionary, what you will find in our culture and in our generation as a definition for church, we have a problem. We don't know we have a problem. Let me demonstrate locally. How many of you have been here maybe 20 years? Some of us have been here 20 years. I don't know when this happened. But if you're driving on the boulevard and you pass International House of Pancakes, then you pass the post office and you're on Lakeview Drive, right? And you're going around town. And you come around the other side and you decide, I'm going to go to the bowling alley. I'm going to turn left on what street? Do you know the name of the street? Bonanza Trail. Bonanza Trail. But if you've been here a little longer you'd know that you used to turn on Gay Road. That was the name of the street. But in the height of a homosexual movement, things coming to service, people got really nervous and asked the city to change the name of the street based on the new understanding of the word gay. Nobody wanted to be on Gay Road right here in our little town. 
What we're talking about is more than semantics when we talk about church. It's more than just a word game. It's not a word game. I'm talking today about morphology, if you will. And morphology being the study of how a word begins and how it morphs and how it changes over the years and it's used different ways. Some of you have received that humorous email at some point that talks about the way we use words differently now. We used to say, well, um, hardware is what you went to Riffenburg to get, but now you get it in your computer, right? It's so, so it's had to take on a new meaning. Uh, software, hardware, a mouse. Everybody has a mouse now. I have lots, you know, we have mice in our house. And you think an exterminator would be doing well, but ours are connected to our computer. So you have words that have changed in meaning. And what we have when we open our common everyday dictionary is this changed meaning that has been given to us over the years by the changes that have taken place with the people of God. What I'm thinking is that if we had an older definition, if we could go back to the roots of our definition of the word church and look at it one more time, maybe a dozen times, but today let's look at it together, then we might respond to the word differently. right? I'm sure there were some people that wouldn't drive on Gay Road because they had, an under, they had a paradigm shift. And they would go, how do I get to the bowling? I'll go on the other street. I'll go on the one behind it. But I'm not driving on Gay Road. Because I had a paradigm shift, and it's weird now. The Bible, the Bibles are standard, right? Not the dictionary. And not culture is not our definition. The Bible uses the word ecclesia as the word church. It comes from a root word that means to call out. To call out. This is why he's talking about ecclesiology. Ecclesia is the word ecclesiology, the church, the study of the church. To call out, think for a moment, some of the passages you read, how Paul the Apostle said, God called me out. God separated me from. God knew me before my birth. God spoke my name, Jeremiah, before I was formed in the womb. He called me. There's this calling of God. We even talked about those of us who are following him uh, to Thailand. We'll use you as an example this morning, Anthony. Uh, we're following a calling that God has given us. Maybe temporary, maybe permanent. We don't know. But right now you're hearing a call to come out from where you are and do something different. Abraham, in the Old Testament, was called out of his country to leave his family and his people to come and let God show him another place, which was to become Israel. Right? Called out. The ecclesia is the word that's used for church, assembly, and for the word congregation. It's used 115 times as the word church in, in what's called the authorized version, if you will, the translation. 115 uses of the word church as you're reading along. And that's why I went through this little exercise. If you saw, truly as you did, a building then when you're reading the New Testament and it says in the church, the picture pops up. You go, there's only three F's. There's a picture. And then I interpret what I read by what I'm seeing. That's why I use that visual language on purpose. What did you see? What is it you comprehend? What projection of your mind comes on the screen when you use the word? So 115 times as you're reading as you do obediently through the scripture, it's something we do. We read the scriptures. But every time we hear the word church, the picture pops in. 
or an understanding overlays the scripture. 115 times. Three times it's used as the word assembly. And so there are 118 occurrences of this word. That's 115 opportunities, 118 opportunities to get it wrong. And I believe that for 1,700 years, that's how we've been reading it. Among the Greeks, this word ekklesia was used specifically as a body of citizens that gathered to discuss the affairs of state. Turn with me to Acts chapter 19. I'm going to show you an ecclesia. In Acts chapter 19, verse 21, we have a riot in Ephesus. I read a sentence the other day that convicted me. It said, how come everywhere Paul went, there was a riot, and everywhere I go, they just serve tea? <laughs> Think about that. <laughs> anyway, so Paul's here. They have a riot at Ephesus, and things are out of hand, and People are yelling and screaming. There's a crowd forming in the street. And they're all screaming at the top of their lungs in verse 28. Great is Diana of the Ephesians. The whole city was filled with confusion and rushed into the theater with one accord. Having seized, I want you to pay attention to this, Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians, Paul's travel companions. I just want you to remember we, we saw Gaius in the crowd. Okay, that'll come later. Down in verse 35, it says, when the city clerk had quieted the crowd, he said, men of Ephesus, what man is there that doesn't know that the city of the Ephesians is temple guardian of the great goddess Diana and of the image which fell down from Zeus? Therefore, since these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rashly. For you have brought these men here who neither are neither robbers of temples nor blasphemers of your, of your goddess. Therefore, if Demetrius and his fellow craftsmen have a case against anyone, the courts are open. And there are proconsuls. Let them bring charges against one another. But if you have any other inquiry to make, it shall be determined in the lawful assembly. This is the word ecclesia. In the lawful gathering of those who get together to discuss the affairs of state. That's how the Greeks use this word. So this guy stands up and uses the word in this fashion. Verse 40, for we are in danger of being called in question for today's uproar, there being no reason which we may give to account for this disorderly gathering. And when he had said these things, he dismissed the assembly, or this quickly gathered group of, which could be determined as an ecclesia. It was a gathering that had got together to discuss the affairs of state, and it happened in an instant because these guys were saying something they didn't want said in their city. This is a biblical place of using the word in the way that the Greeks thought of it. There's a version or a translation of the Bible called the Septuagint. When you're reading your, your Bible, you find in your footnotes, if you have footnotes every now and then, S-E-P-T, period. It stands for Septuagint. What that means is they took the Hebrew Bible, the Hebrew Old Testament, translated the whole thing to Greek. So in the Greek Septuagint, the word ecclesia is found in places like Psalm 22. I hope I'm not boring you. I hope I'm just keeping you on here. I'm just trying to tap the nail a little further. What I want is the miraculous results that will come eventually. I'm willing to sow some seed for the future here. Psalm 22, which is also quoted in Hebrews chapter 2. I will declare your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will praise you. 
Old Testament, written in Hebrew, but if you read it in the Greek Septuagint, it's going to say, I will declare your name to my brethren in the midst of the ecclesia, those who have been called out. From the rest of the world, they've been called out to be God's people. We tend to think of this, when it talks about Moses leading the children of Israel out of Egypt, he talks about them being the church in the wilderness. That's what the scriptures say. I think that's the one in Hebrews. Let's, let's see just real quick. I didn't, I didn't really research that, but I think. Let me see if this is it. I could be wrong. That's common, unfortunately. I'm finding. No, maybe you can. That's not it. Sorry. But where it says that he was leading them as the church in the wilderness, in the Septuagint, it's the ecclesia of God. So it's used as a gathering of Israel, called together for any purpose. This was the assembly, or the ecclesia of God, word we call church. Or, should they elect, as we have in our nation, to select a body of men or women, or men and women, to represent the entire nation so that you don't have to get everybody together. In our nation, in political structures, we'd call that our Congress. Right? We vote for people, we elect representatives, and we send them off to Washington, D.C. so they can forget who we are in taxes. Sorry, I won't go political. But they're supposed to be our House of Representatives. So they are... From within our population as the United States of America, they are an ecclesia inside of an ecclesia. We're a different body of people than the rest of the world. We are the United States of America. Our population is separate from Thailand or Australia or whatever. So we're, if we were to be called out as a nation, it'd be easy to find us as an ecclesia. But inside of that, we've chosen another smaller group to represent us at a national level. In the children of Israel, it was the same way. You had tribal clan leaders and elders and priests, etc., that God would call them together and discuss with them, and then they would go and disperse the information into the nation. But the whole nation was the ecclesia of God, the church in the wilderness. And this was then the church leadership, the ecclesia, those called out to represent the rest of the nation. Do you feel like you're in class at school today? Yes. Well, let's take a break. What do you say? Let me get you a little note on your paper. If you're taking notes, you've got a little space you know, up in the corner. Draw a cross, just like the one here. And I think we're, we're done up here probably, right? Just draw a cross like the one we have here on the wall. You know, the cross of Jesus. Just draw a little simple line. And then up in the, that upper left quadrant of the cross, write this. Kingdom of God. Kingdom of God. Go, go up on the upper right open box there and, and write grace bias b-i-a-s grace bias kingdom of god grace bias lower left let's write in here a little more wordy spiritualistic biblical worldview okay spiritualistic biblical worldview and then finally, on this bottom right quadrant, right relational structures. At the beginning of this year, I said this, that these four things were on my mind, on my heart. 
to continually transmit to the body of Christ these four things during this next year to help us understand the kingdom of God. That simply put is that wherever the kingdom of God is, the rule of Jesus exists. It's not that it's a geographic or political structure. In fact, we've heard it said that his is a kingdom of hearts. When you see that every tribe, kindred, nation, and tongue is going to be represented at the throne, then we know that his kingdom exists in every culture, in every people group around the world by the end of time. The the nations have received the witness of Jesus and many have come to him and become part of his church, his called out body of people, the ecclesia. And so the kingdom of God means wherever his kingdom is, then he's in rule. He's the sovereign. And he can, you can be in a room like this with this many people, and if only one of us was serving Jesus, we could invite the kingdom of God to be in the midst and rule in that situation. And that's what you'll do when you go to Thailand. When you walk into the country, you bring, again, with you the kingdom of God because he's ruling over you. And you press back principalities, powers, and darkness. And demons flee because Jesus is on the scene. It's like we're the glove and he's the hand. There's a glove laying in the hallway, by the way. Maybe it's yours. It's been laying out there for a couple of weeks. I keep thinking it's going to go home, but it has no impetus of its own. It doesn't crawl. It doesn't wiggle. It just lays there. But if it was your glove and you came on and you slid your hand into it, then that glove would submit to your movement. It would do what you do. It has no power of its own. Paul the Apostle said in Galatians 2.20, I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I'm alive. Yet it's not me that's living, it's Christ who lives in me. And the, faith, and the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God. I've allowed him to slip his hand into who I am. And I want to do what he wants to do. I want him to move me. I want to be responsive. Because if he pulls his hand out, I'm nothing. I just lay there. <laughs> I have no ability. Kingdom of God comes, his rule is there. Grace bias means that when the Old Testament was the, was the rule, then everybody failed. When the law came, Paul said, the law revived and I died. Every time the law was brought up, I was a failure. Every time some part of the law was brought to mention, I had failed. Uh, Jesus, or Paul said it this way in Romans chapter 3, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I'm holding my hand up as a target. If you can see an archer's target over here. And, and this is my life, the arrow, and I let it fly, and it comes. And every time, no matter how hard I try, no matter how well I do, my arrow falls short of the target. It misses the mark of God's glory. That's what this passage says. All have sinned and missed the mark of reaching God's glory. Now, grace bias comes. Jesus comes. In John chapter 1, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Verse 14, We beheld His glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness of Him and cried out, saying, This was He of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for He was before me. And of His fullness we have all received, and grace for grace. Well, the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Well, Jesus comes, he fulfills the law, and then he says to us, I'm going to live with you according to a grace bias. 
I know you're going to fall short. I know you're going to fail. I know you can't measure up. But watch this. Let, let another arrow fly. Just give it your poorest shot, your best shot. doesn't matter. You're not going to hit the target. And so you pull back and you let it fly. And as it's sailing through the air, just as it dips, he comes and lifts underneath the arrow and guides it to the glory of God. And you, now you can hit the target because he's the hand in your glove. Because he's the life inside of you. He will hit the mark through you. That's promise of a grace bias. When I fail, the law should not come and kill me. The law should convict me. The word of God should convict me. And the Holy Spirit will run me to the cross where I can receive again grace for grace. Where I can hear the words of John, 1 John 1, 9. If any man sins, let him confess his sins. And God who is faithful will cleanse him from his sin and and, and take away his sin. Cleanse all his unrighteousness. Give him a new chance. It's grace. Where I can finally lay back and say, you know what? I just can't do this. I can't live this Christian life by myself. I need his grace. And so every day, thank you, Jesus, for grace. And I'm not talking about sloppy grace. I'm not talking about being grace abusers, where you just live like hell and believe that God will forgive you for everything anyway. That's, that's ridiculous. Paul in Romans chapter 6, what should we continue in sin because this grace exists? Should we continue in sin? He asks a rhetorical kind of a demanding question. Should we continue? God forbid. We're free from those things. Sin doesn't have to have dominion over us anymore. It will get us every now and then. And the carnal nature will have carnality attacks, I call them. You know, where carnality rules up over us. The old man raises off the ground from the dead. You've got to kill him again. And God says, here's my grace. Let's go again. Grace bias. Spiritualistic, biblical worldview. When I was talking with Joey about their trip to Thailand, I said, buddy, when you go there, you're going to have to close your eyes at times. Not because you shouldn't see what you're seeing, but because when you close your eyes, you can discern away from the natural and ask yourself the question, what spirit is at work? There are only three spirits. God's spirit, Satan's, and yours in every situation. And when you see death and destruction, and you close your eyes and you say, what spirit's at work? Well, John 10.10 still says the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. So the devil's at work. When you see people selling their children into slavery and prostitution, close your eyes and ask the question, what spirit's behind it? It's not just a greed factor. It's not just some men's idea. There's a spirit there that wants to stamp out the image of God that's in those children wants to kill the image of God. And if he can destroy kill kids, all the, all the better. It doesn't matter. He's no respecter of persons, the devil. He'll take out an 80-year-old over here with a heart attack and turn right around and try and kill a baby in the womb. He doesn't care because the Bible says each one of us is the stamp of God on our life. We are the image and, and, and likeness of God in us, and he hates God. So he's about killing us. So I say, close your eyes and ask the question, what spirit's at work? When you get with Destiny Rescue and you see them snatching girls, risking their own lives, going into brothels and taking them, rescuing them out, putting them in homes, blessing them, clothing them, restoring their life. What spirit's at work? It's the spirit of God. It's the spirit of love and compassion. It's the spirit of redemption, reconciliation. It's the spirit of forgiveness, teaching, training, betterment. It's the spirit of God. And you're standing in Thailand and you close your eyes and say, which one do I want to join with? Who am I going to activate my lifestyle with? And we choose all the time. 
And so a spiritualistic biblical worldview says this, there are things going on in the spirit that we never see in the natural. We only see the outworking of it. But we can be absolutely involved in making things happen in the spirit. And relational structures, that bottom left in our commercial interruption here. I see the Bible as totally revolving around relational structures. You see Jesus come. Grab his 12, and for three years we say he ate with them, walked with them, talked with them, wrestled them on the shores of Galilee, had barbecues, hung out, healed the sick, raised the dead, took them into a house, told them what happened, taught parables in the streets to the crowds, and then went inside and told his disciples what it meant. They were always in relationship. And out of that relational structure, Jesus demonstrates for us how the church should work, how the ecclesia of God should operate through relational structures. Now, for 1,700 years, we've been in this configuration where you sit looking this way and somebody stands who is considered to be the professional, the clergy, and the laity. Do you know that there were no official church buildings? The earliest one they've found is 150 A.D. is the earliest archaeological church structure. But it really wasn't until 400, about 400 A.D., when Constantine decided that the Roman Empire was going to be Christian. And he took his soldiers and he lined them up in the ocean and called it a baptism and said, now they're all Christians. We're going to be a Christian country. And, you know, just to celebrate that, we know that there are pagans that, that celebrate things on December 21st, 22nd-ish. And, and they also have other celebrations they have on the later part, 27, 6, 7, 8 of December. So we're going to claim December 25th, right in the middle of it. And we're going to call it the birthday of Jesus. And we still celebrate that on December 25th. Because Constantine decided and handed it to us. And every year you hear people arguing it, don't you? Like, well, it couldn't have been. The shepherds aren't out there in the snow. Come on. I mean, it must have been spring or October or something. And, and we always wrestle, when was it possibly the birth of Jesus? The point of it is, we've been handed the Webster's definition that Christmas is on 25th of December because Constantine decided. What else did he decide? He decided that the church should have buildings. And under his leadership, they built big buildings for the church to gather in. Now, think with me slowly. If they weren't already in a big building, where were they? Just stop and think. I'm trying to tap the nail just a little bit. They were at home. <laughs> they were in homes. Yeah, say it with me. Homes. And they were not unhappy there. The letters of the New Testament were written to the church in homes. They were written the bodies of people that gathered in cities, in homes, and in the streets, breaking bread from house to house. They did eat their meat with singleness of heart, and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Acts chapter 2, 42. We had some rulers say, let's build a big building, let's put the church inside of it. Let's put the ecclesia of God, those who have been called out of the world, in response to salvation under Jesus Christ. And let's put them all in a building so they can have a nice place to worship together. And 1,700 years later, you open your dictionary and it still tells us that the church is a building. We need a paradigm shift. 
We need, a, 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 we need to tap the nail in a little further. We need to have the results start becoming miraculous. Do I not like our building? Let me clarify. No, I, I like having a building to meet in. But there's a danger here. Even when I get together with other pastors, like the Ministerial Association, great bunch of guys. I mean, these people love God, just like me. But it's not uncommon somewhere in our conversation, some piece at some point will come up talking about clergy and laity. And my skin just crawls. I, I want to start shouting it down. Now, I, I can flow with the conversations. You know, I've learned a lot from these denominational guys. One that I really like is this. When the Presbyterians gather and they greet one another, they say, the Jesus in me greets the Jesus in you. Isn't that good? That's good stuff. Because it's an acknowledgement of who's living in me and who's living in you. The Jesus in me greets the Jesus in you. I can live with that one. But when they say clergy and laity, oh, I just get irritated. Because the Bible says you're all priests. We're all priests unto God. First Peter chapter 2, verse 9 would be a good reference for us. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Paul the Apostle said it this way in Colossians 1.13, he has translated you or he has transplanted you. He has transferred you. Use any of those words out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the son of his love or in the kingdom of light. Some different variations of the translations. But the picture I see is our roots used to be down in the kingdom of darkness, drawing life from whatever was available. And Jesus plucked us up by the roots and replanted us in his kingdom, this kingdom of God's structure, where he's the sovereign, where he's the ruler, where life flows from him. And now our roots are there, drawing life in the kingdom of God. Where we get in trouble, I, I'm so visual. I have so much fun inside my own head. <laughs> when I get in trouble, it's because one of my little roots pulls up out of the ground, sneaks over to the old life, and starts looking for a little fix. <laughs> Draw a little something from over there in the old dark kingdom. Just for a moment. I mean, most of my roots are over here with Jesus, but just this once, if I could just do that, do that. And then death comes, right? And I cut that root off and pull my arm back and say, get back in the kingdom of light. Aren't you glad you don't live inside my head? <laughs> so back to ecclesiology for a moment. When the word is used, ecclesia, in the New Testament or in the Septuagint version of the Bible concerning Christians, there are, there are a couple of thoughts. One is that it's talking about the whole company of redeemed people who are alive today in the present era. That's who Jesus is working through because those who have passed on, he's not working through them here anymore, right? And those who are not born yet, he can't use them just yet. So it's about this company on the planet 
called the church, the ecclesia, those who have responded to being called out of darkness into light in the person of Jesus. Living in Him. Ephesians 1.22 says, And He put all things under His feet and gave Him, Jesus, to be head over all things to the ecclesia, the church which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Everybody that's connected to Jesus by being born again is part of the body. The body's universal. It's all over the planet. It is that company of ecclesia who have responded to Christ as Savior. In 523, same. These are just simple, kind of quick passages. We're talking about husbands and wives. The husband is head of the wife, is also Christ is head of the ecclesia, the church. Now, see again, this is one of those places where if your if your visual is a building, it just doesn't work. In the first chapter, it doesn't work. There's no mention of building. There's a mention of a head and a body. No building. I'm not against buildings. I'm just saying that we have to shift our thinking. Last night when I asked the question, what comes to mind when when you see the word church? Someone said, I see two or three gathered together in his name. I thought, okay, we're getting a little closer now. Because Jesus promised where two or three of you gather in my name, I'll be with you in the midst. And that's what we want in our lighthouse. This is when we gather, we want Jesus to have the central place. We sang it this morning. Thank you, Gary and the worship team. Jesus, be the center. What if every time we gathered, we were able literally and in our minds to gather in his name? That means something different than what we might think. Say, well, I'm getting together with a bunch of people in the living room. Yeah, but did you gather in his name? Are you really focused on him coming? Are you coming so that your invitational heart is wide open for him to come and to operate there in your midst? Or did you just show up because there was a meeting? See, maybe only out of a dozen people in a, in a lighthouse, maybe only two or three are really gathering in his name at any given time. And so part of our convincing is during the worship segment of the, of the lighthouse so that we all get focused on him. And we're saying, Jesus, be the center tonight right here. This is the ecclesia of God in this living room, in this Starbucks, in this back room at Vaughn's, wherever it gets together. Come, be the center Now that's where the miraculous will take place. That's where the shift will come. That's where the gifts will operate. 1 Corinthians 14, 26 is a goal. For us, right? You know that in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul's teaching the Corinthians about the gifts of the Spirit. Nine gifts of the Spirit. Okay, we're there. Um, If you don't know that, that's what's there, 1 Corinthians 12. The nine gifts of the Spirit operate in the the ecclesia, the church. In 1 Corinthians 13, the next chapter, he starts off, Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I've become a sounding brass or clanging cymbal. And the whole chapter, we call it the love chapter. And we often like to export it to a wedding ceremony where love and charity and these things abide, let faith, love, and hope. But listen, he's talking about the church. He's talking about the body of Christ. saying, here's the gifts, and here's love, and this is how they should be operated through love. 
we get to 14, he starts by saying, pursue love and desire spiritual gifts. And now he's going to use this chapter. Of course, we have the demarcations of chapters. He didn't write it in chapters. We have that. But in this segment of his writing, he begins to say, and here's how it should look, and here's how it should work when you gather. When the ecclesia of God gets together, this is how it should work. And there, there, um, you know, the last verse says, let all things be done decently and in order. There is order in the body of Christ. There is the movement that should take place. It shouldn't just be craziness and pandemonium. There is a way to operate the gifts through love in the body. One of the things we can look at verse 22 says, Therefore tongues are for a sign not to those who believe but to unbelievers. Prophesying is not for unbelievers but for those who believe. Therefore if the whole ecclesia, the whole church, comes together in one place, and all sp- now what, what picture do you see? Did you see Sunday morning in the building gathering together? Probably. If we've got 1,700 years of indoctrination on us and everything we've ever heard says that's when the whole church gets together in the building. Let's just swap buildings. Let's talk about this definition of New Testament Scripture where this is being written to a group of people that do not have a building. So it couldn't have been in reference to that. Am I hurting you? Am I shaking you? (laughs) No, don't take it away. And all speak with tongues. There comes in those who are uninformed or unbelievers. Will they not say that you're out of your mind? <laughs> I see a lighthouse group. Okay, let's let's go to the the W for worship. And everybody starts speaking in tongues. And you got unbelievers that are like, "What is going on here?" I remember the first time I came to this church. It wasn't in this building. It was downtown, and in the worship service, everybody in the room, their hands were in the air like that. And they all started speaking in tongues between two songs. And that was my first thought. These people are demon-possessed. How did I get in here? You know, what's funny is I was there seeking the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I had come for that reason. I had no idea what I was looking for, but I knew it was available. I'd seen it in Scripture. But when they went, should have bought a Honda. Oh, I shinned my knee. Or whatever they were saying. (laughs) I thought these people are demon possessed and I have got to sneak out of here before they catch me. And then I thought, how am I going to hide? I'm the only one who doesn't have his hands. If anybody sees I don't have my hands up, they'll know I'm not one of them and they're going to snag me. What am I going to do? So I thought, put my hands in the air and hide. Right in the middle of them. I put my hands up and God filled me with the Holy Spirit and I began speaking in tongues right there. And peace came, and I thought, I'll just chill out. I'm okay. They didn't catch me. I'll stay for the service and uh, check them out. Then I'll be able to more rightly tell my friends about this place. At the end of the service, the pastor said, if you came for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and I thought, well, that was me. And the word was right on. The word of God preaching was excellent. Nothing about the Holy Spirit was mentioned. Nothing about salvation was mentioned. He said, if you came to get saved or filled with the Holy Spirit, come up here. I want to talk to you and pray with you. I said, well, that's why I came. I'm going to go. I'm going to check this thing out to the max. They haven't caught me yet. <laughs> Went up, sat in the chair. He laid hands on me. I was filled with the Holy Spirit, spoken tongues. That was my first visit to Big Bear Christian Center. Guess what? I'm still here. <laughs> hey, man, what a fun journey, huh? 
When they come in and you do this, they're going to say you're out of your mind. That's what I said. If all prophesied an unbeliever or an uninformed person comes in, he's convinced by all, he's convicted by all. Thus the secrets of his heart are revealed. So falling down on his face, they'll worship God and report that God is truly among you. That's what we want in the lighthouse. We want God in our midst and among us, gracing us with his presence. How is it then, brothers, when, whenever you come together, each of you has a psalm, has a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for the, what Rob told us last week, the oikodomeia, the meo or oikodome, the building up, the edifying of the ecclesia, the church. Let all things be done for edification. If anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be two or three at the most, each in turn, and let one interpret. He's talking about proper conduct in the meeting of the ecclesia, which was in a home. Okay, I'm done tapping your nail. I don't want to get rid of the building. It's not my goal. Maybe I can, I can share it with you this way. Rob and I were with... Joel Comiskey Group this week in South Carolina had a great trip. You know, we're going to the beach. We got a hotel that has a beach view. I mean, the ocean's right there, 100 yards. Nothing between our room and the sand and the water. And I'm always amazed when the sun comes out of the water. It's weird. But it was fogged in and it snowed the day we left. So it wasn't all scrapped up to be. But in the meetings, we sat with. Joel Comiskey and Rob Campbell from Wimberley, Texas, Steve Cordell from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, who, when he got home <laughs> to that snowstorm, had no power at his house. And, but here we are eating dinner with all these guys and Mario Vega. Now, Mario Vega is one of my heroes. You know, he's got the largest church in the Western Hemisphere, 150,000 people. I was in a board meeting once again with him for three hours. I didn't count him this time, but he couldn't have said more than about 25 words in three hours. He's just kind of so humble, such a real guy. And I count it a privilege just to drive for him and take him places and take care of his needs if I can. But I'm always reminded that his building, which he's trying to replace, holds about 7,000 people. And he has another building across the wash that seats about 1,000 children. <clears throat> And he runs nine services a weekend for his ecclesia. Nine times seven is 63. Right? Nine times a thousand is 9,000. Add them up, you get 72,000 people who can gather in a corporate setting in the building they own or the buildings. But there are 150,000 people in the ecclesia, in the church. And for them... It's real easy for him to say the cell is the church. And the church is more than a cell, but the cells are the church. And church happens every, he can tell you on Monday by noon whether or not how many of those 150,000 people were in the cells that week. And for him, he knows they're in church. See, the way we say church. They're in fellowship. They're in a shepherding environment. They're in a place where the gifts can operate. They're in a place where they can receive ministry and give ministry. And he says, that's the church. That's how we count it. We count what's in cells. Those who have the ability to come and be in a celebration, wonderful. But we cannot service everybody we minister to in a building. It just doesn't work for us. We're gone back to a New Testament configuration, and we have people in every part of the city who are part of the church. One out of every nine people in his city is in his congregation, in a, in a city of a million and a half people. 
And it strikes me that when you go around the globe and you say, what churches are moving? How about the church in China? Is the church in China growing? We, we say it's growing by 25 to 27,000 new converts every single day. Try and drive through China and find a church building. There aren't any. The only buildings that exist are for the uh, authorized church. What's it called? The, the three-self church that's authorized by the government. Those are the only buildings. Otherwise, the church moving ahead at 27,000 new converts a day with no buildings. So, now, remember, I'm trying to shift us. I'm not attacking buildings. I just need us to kind of get the visual changed. Let's, I'm, I want to be kind of like that guy that was trying to build a building, and his architect said, what you want to do is impossible. He reached in his coat, handed him a little dictionary, and said, could you look that word up for me? Impossible. He opened it up, flipped back and forth, and he said, somebody's torn the page out. See, I'm wondering if I need to go to my 11th Webster's, 11th Collegiate Dictionary and tear the page out that has church and write my own definition back in there the way God sees it. If we could shift, things would change. That's what I'm after. When you read Romans chapter 16, um, and I'm not going to read the chapter to you, don't be afraid. I don't know if you can see them, but... There's little check marks on my, on my page, little tiny black check marks. I don't know if you can see them or not. I told myself a while back that any time I came to a passage in the New Testament that talked about the church in the home, which it should be all of them, right? But where I could verify it, I'd put a little check mark. Just in this one chapter, verse 3 to 5, Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their own necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but also... All the churches of the Gentiles. Likewise, greet the church that's in their house. Greet the church that's in their house. Verse 10. Greet Apelles, approved in Christ. Greet those who are of the household, the oikos of Aristobulus. Verse 10. Greet Herodian, my countrymen. Greet those who are of the household of Narcissus, who are in the Lord. Interesting. Greet those that are in the oikos of Narcissus who are in the Lord. That means there were others in the oikos who were not in the Lord. I mean, I'm slowing these things down going, wait a minute, what is he saying? In Narcissus's house, there are saved and unsaved people in his oikos. Spreading the kingdom to those who are not yet in. Verse 15. Greet Philologus and Julia, Nurus and his sister in Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. How did they meet in the house? Greet one another with a holy kiss. The churches of Christ greet you. In other words, the ecclesia gatherings here where I am greet the gatherings where you are. You can find it over and over and over in Scripture. So, knowing that, last Scripture, Hebrews 10, 24 and 5. Rob gave us this last week, and this is what stirred my heart for this message this week is when he read this to us. Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. I just had to know if this word assembling 
was ecclesia, so I looked it up. It's not. It's a different word. I'm not even sure I can pronounce it correctly. I'll try. It's the word episunagoge. But what it means is this. A complete collection. Do you have a collection of anything? You ever walk into a room that had a tile ceiling with one missing? Doesn't that bother you? It's actually called the missing tile syndrome. For those of you that have less hair than I do, just remember they don't put marble tops on cheap furniture. Anyway, they say that those who are bald walk into a room and that's all they see is bald heads. And they want to know if they're the only one with the missing tile. (laughs) Anyway, when this scripture was written to a body of ecclesia, they did not have a building. They were still exhorted, don't forsake getting the complete collection together. Don't miss anybody. Make sure everybody's there. Make sure all the ecclesia come. Make sure they're with you. How are you going to do that effectively across the whole city? You can only do it if you're meeting in little oikoses, small groups. You can only have community in a small group. You can have a small group without community, but you can't get community unless you're in one and you're in an oikos. Okay, I don't expect you to agree with everything I said this morning, at least not today. And I'm okay with that if you don't. But I'm looking forward to the day, and I just want to kind of put a seed on you this morning. In the not-too-distant future, we should have a service where all of us are ministers, where when the body comes together, it's not clergy and laity. And I've tried this, and it freaks you out. You've walked in here, and I've had the chairs arranged differently, and you just look, you're the cow looking at the new gate thing. You're just like, oh, and you, oh, what do we do? And people start rearranging the chairs immediately. Oh, we've got to straighten the chairs out. Why? Because we've been trained for 1,700 years to put up the chairs in rows and stare at the back of each other's heads. And in some environments, that's all you can do. That's the only way you can pull it off. But there could be a service where we say, leaving, like today, won't you seek the Lord and see what he gives you this week? What song will he birth in your heart? What scripture will he reveal to you? What prophetic utterance might he lend to your heart that you would give to us as a gift from the Holy Spirit? What can we do together when we meet? And then when we meet, we don't just sing five songs, have some announcements, then preach the word, then... We don't even stop long enough to take up an offering. We'll put it in the wall. You know, but church is kind of predictable when you think of it in Webster's definition. But ecclesia can be very predictable. Also, if our common goal is to have Jesus in the middle and let him do whatever he wants to do when we're together. How can we practice that most effectively? 1 Corinthians 14, 26 and 7. Practice it in the lighthouses. Let God move. Pray before you start, not just an opening prayer. Cell leaders, take time before your cell gathers to intercede ask God to come. Greet each one as they come, even if it's only in your own heart without the words. Say that Jesus in me greets the Jesus in you. The body is assembling. Our part of it is now together. We've got a complete collection. We're not forsaking the complete collection of ourselves together 
as the manner of some is. And we need to do this more and more as we see the day approaching. When we read Matthew 24, it seems like the day is approaching. So now is the time. And then Jesus can be in the midst. Gifts can flow. Healings will happen. Repentance will occur. They'll fall down on their... We'll bring our unsaved friends and they'll fall down in our midst saying, God is definitely in the middle of this thing and I need Jesus. Just like for me. That day I was filled with the Holy Spirit. Have I made some sense? Okay. So next time you read the word church, maybe you'll see it just a little different. Father... You're kind to me. You've given me such privilege. And I certainly don't deserve it. But I thank you for it in the name of Jesus and pray that over this message you will rule. You will guide. You will break revelation. You will take the future and shift us back to an original understanding of church rather than our cultural norm or our 1,700-year-old view. Pray that you will ignite your body, the kingdom of priests. The priesthood of believers will be restored in this house, your house. And you will be honored, and that we will penetrate our community, taking the kingdom of God everywhere we go, building relational structures that effectively advance your kingdom. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.